He taught like no one ever taught. He, he spoke in ways that even the most educated of the rabbis didn't speak. When he spoke, the people said he speaks as one with authority. When he taught, he taught in such a way that the people said, we have never heard teaching like this. It doesn't take long as you read through the Gospels to become acquainted with Jesus as the master teacher. He taught in ways that helped people and challenged people and grew people. He told stories. He used object lessons. He made complex and profound theology simple enough for a common person to understand. He was a master teacher in every regard, and one of his most brilliant methods, I'm convinced, is a a small little saying that he used throughout the Sermon on the Mount. You've heard it said. You have heard it said is, by my count, at least in the English Standard Version, Uh, used five separate times in the Sermon on the Mount. So it was a phrase that he was familiar with, and he would follow that up with another phrase, but I tell you. And what he did there is so masterful because he was taking what was heard in culture and what was taught by their teachers and, and what they would have read if they would have had social media in their day, He was taking all of the things of culture and and comparing them, more specifically contrasting them, with his teachings. What it meant to follow him. What it meant to, to be a person who followed Jesus Christ. It was a comparison between what was popular... And what was true. You've heard it said, but I tell you, we're going to copy Jesus' approach in this series, which we start today. We're going to use that phrase, you've heard it said. Now, we're not going to look at what some of the things that they heard, those those are good things, but we're going to look at some of the things that we hear in our culture and cross-check them with what Jesus taught, which, with what the scriptures say. Our goal in this series is to have a Berean spirit. Now, some of you know what Berean spirit means. Some of you have never heard that phrase. A Berean spirit comes from a mention of the Berean Jews in Acts 17. And here is what Acts 17, verse 11 says about these Berean Jews. Now, these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. One translation says the Bereans 
examine the scriptures to see if what Paul said was really true. It says that's so interesting to me because you and I, we, I mean, we would just take uh, the Apostle Paul. He must know what he's talking about. But the Bereans had a beautiful and noble spirit, which was this. I don't care how smooth you talk. I don't care if you look like you know what you're saying. I want to know, in fact, what does God say? I, I want to know if what you're saying is really true. And so I hope Northside will always have, I, I think we do, but let me encourage you that we be a people that always has a Berean spirit. It's easy to get focused and concerned with things going out on in culture. Not bad to know those things, but what's important is the second part of it, that we ask, what did Jesus say on this? What does Scripture say on this? That's an important question. So that's what this series is all about. Today, we're going to look at a very popular one in the culture uh, called basically following your heart. You will see this, you will hear this in music, movies, television, Netflix, Hulu. You'll see or hear some form or variation where you are told to trust your heart, to listen to your heart, to follow your heart. Well... What did Jesus say about that? What do scriptures say about following our heart? If you turn to Proverbs chapter 4.23, right there in the middle, thank you those of you Bereans who are checking the preacher in real time. The English standard says this, keep your heart with all vigilance. For from it flow the springs of life. doesn't say anything about following the heart, but it does say keep the heart. Some translations will say guard your heart. All right, let's go to the prophets. Go to Jeremiah the prophet. If you, By the way, we're going to do a little more in-depth study on the prophet Jeremiah tonight. Uh, join us for Sunday night study at 5. If you're so inclined and want to do a little more in-depth, what did the prophet Jeremiah say about the heart? Proverbs chapter, I'm sorry, Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9, he said, he wrote that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Your heart <laughs> has some problems. I know some of you in here have actual issues with your heart, physical issues. Sometimes you ever have a person having to have a heart surgery, but the scriptures tell us that our heart, which is more than just the physical part, of, it's not this part pumping blood, the heart in scripture represents the all of you, every part of your thinking and your emotions and your reason and your personality and, and all of the, the part 
of you that makes you you, Scripture calls, the people of God called, the heart. The wise people say, guard that, because from it flow the issues of life. The prophet Jeremiah says, your heart is desperately wicked, deceitful above all things, and sick enough that no one can understand it. Let's, let's just run a little, see what we think about that. Uh, raise your hand if you've ever done something, said something, or acted in a stupid way. Go ahead, all right? And afterwards, you ask yourself in reflection, why did I do that? What was I thinking? Jeremiah says, because you've got a heart problem. Now, we're still looking for that, that word from the world that says, follow it. But so far, the news is not good. Turn to what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 15. And, and you notice I haven't put these on the slides. You're going to have to work for this, okay? Matthew 15 verse 19 Jesus is talking here in the context about the issues of what defile a person, a human being. The Jews, the people of the time, they were concerned greatly. The rabbis taught that it had a great deal to do with what you put inside your mouth. But Jesus said, no, no, it's not that. It's not the stuff that goes in your mouth. He says, it's really... Echoing Jeremiah, a heart issue, Matthew 15, verse 19, Jesus is recorded as saying, For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. So, Jesus says in a more detailed way that you and I have a heart problem. And that is why, probably, there is no place in Scripture, you can do a word check right now, where it says, follow your heart. Because your heart is problematic. It's flighty, emotional, and quite easily deceived. Um, (laughs) Don't follow your heart because your heart is stupid. I didn't say you were stupid because there are some very intelligent people who do some very stupid things. So we're not talking about intelligence here. What we're saying is the heart acts and thinks and feels and desires things that don't make sense, that aren't good for it, that aren't helpful. In fact, the only, as I thought through this, the only way I could really consider that follow your heart as in scripture is in a negative way. What do I mean by that? Well, any time a person followed their heart in Scripture, it led to all sorts of trouble. You, you turn to Genesis chapter 3. We can start with the first one. As Eve followed her heart and went ahead and partook of the fruit that God told her not to partake of. 
And when she followed that heart, it led us, not only her and her husband, Adam, and, and the rest of humanity with it, that we're not guilty of Adam's sin, but it brought sin into the world, more precisely brought sin into our hearts. You could ask King David, who is described in Scripture as a man after God's own heart, and when he did the things after God's own heart, he did quite okay. He did quite well. In fact, he was a great king. But when David did things that were not after God's own heart, you might say that David followed his heart and committed adultery with Bathsheba. Because something in his heart told him that that would be acceptable. Some way his reasoning was confused. In some way he ignored what God clearly said. And when he followed his heart, it led to all sorts of problems. Not just with he and Bathsheba and Uriah, but for his whole family. He paid fourfold for following his whole heart. Jonah, the prophet did what God said until what God said was something he didn't want to do. I want you to preach to those Ninevites, Nineveh! And he followed in his, followed his heart and tried to flee from God and ended up, as you know, in the belly of a great fish. Those are the only times when I can think of when following your heart, though it's not specifically stated in Scripture, it's spelled out what it looks like. Now, I could tell you countless stories that are outside of Scripture where people follow their heart to their own destruction. And so, this is why Jesus never taught follow your heart. This is why it's warned against in Scripture. In fact, let's turn to Luke chapter 9, verse 23. And think a little more about what Jesus said concerning the call to follow him. Luke chapter 9, verse 23. He said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. An invitation given to everyone is this. And by the way, it's an invitation that not everyone will accept because honestly, it is difficult. And it's the invitation, if you're going to follow Jesus, to deny everything that your heart wants for you. The invitation to follow Jesus is not one of self-actualization or self-fulfillment or self-love or anything to do with self. It's an invitation that reads, don't follow your heart, but follow Jesus instead. You see, following Jesus is so very different from following your heart. It, it's, it's a decision, not an emotion. Following Jesus is it's an, it's an invitation. It's not an intuition to leave all of you behind. To give up you because, in the words of the great theologian Taylor Swift, it's me 
Hi, I'm the problem. It's me. That's a cultural saying that reflects something that's actually pretty true. From a scriptural perspective, you are the problem. I, I, I want you to know that I mean that in a most loving way. You see, following Jesus is an opportunity to deny yourself, to get out of yourself, to get out of your own head. It's a call to crucify your heart with its passions, with its desires, and to do that every single day. And I ask you the question, because on the surface, this not only sounds contrarian, this sounds draconian. Some say, and some have said, that Jesus here is asking too much. Is he? And so to understand following Jesus, I want us to think a little more about this and really ask ourselves, is he asking, the, is he asking too much? Is he raising the bar too high? To understand following Jesus, I, I want you to, to go to the end of chapter 9 because there's a story of, of three conversations with three people who desired, who desired to follow the one Jesus. And as we look at that, hopefully <clears throat> this helps us a little more to understand what it means to follow Jesus. Luke chapter 9 We're still in chapter 9, but I want you now to be in verse 57. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And he said to him, the foxes have holes. The birds of the air have nests. But the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another, he said, follow me. This time it's different. The first guy wanted, came up and asked. The second guy says, I want to follow you. Or the second one, Jesus said, follow me. And he said, but Lord, let me just first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, talk about draconian, as uh, let the dead... Bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. And yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. And Jesus said to him, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. You see, in Jesus' call to follow him, we we see three people who kind of want to follow Jesus. Do do you understand what it means to kind of want to follow Jesus? There's parts of Jesus that we all like. There's parts of Jesus that we all want. But there's parts of Jesus that are hard. And they on the surface seem rather demanding and harsh. 
And this record of these three conversations spells that out pretty well. In discussion number one, we see that following Jesus is a call to change your heart. Now, you won't find the exact word call to change your heart. You have to think about it a little bit. But he says, I'll follow you wherever you go. Jesus says, you better understand what you are signing up for. Because when you follow me, you are choosing no longer to have a home in this world. Now, he's talk- I don't think he's talking about a house. I don't think he's saying it's wrong to have a place to live in. He's saying it's wrong. It's not wrong to have a house in this world. It's wrong to be at home in this world. It's wrong to be content with this world. To, to, to desire this world. Jesus said, as long as you're in this world, you will never be at home if you're following me. That's hard. Because this world offers us a lot of shiny things. And it's easy to get comfortable. It's easy to get at, to become at home here. So we got to think about that, because the, the call to follow Jesus is a call to change your heart. You've heard the old, frame, the, the old saying, home is where the heart is. Well, let me ask you, where's your heart? If it's in this world, Jesus said, you, you probably won't like following me very much. So we should consider, number two, The second conversation is a call to shift our priorities. We we learned that following Jesus requires shifting our priorities. Christians, you see, are are not people who can be half-hearted. The book of Revelation uses the imagery of hot or cold, just pick a side. But don't foolishly deceive yourselves and think you can mock God by living lukewarm lives where you can have your, your heart in both places at the same time. Leave the dead to bear their own dead. This on the surface seems terribly cruel. This man's father just died. Well, you understand the, what he's saying there is his father's not just died. That was a... A phrase, go and bury my father, was kind of a way of saying, my father is nearing the end of his life. I need to go tend to him. I need to make sure the affairs are in order, take care of him physically. When he does die, I need to handle that arrangement. And of course, above all of that, I need to make sure that the estate is settled properly. That everyone, (coughs) everyone gets their fair share of the estate. You see, when I got my share of the estate, then I'm going to be set and I can follow Jesus all the rest of my life. That's what he's telling Jesus. Jesus, I like it. I do. It's just that yeah, I haven't quite got enough in the bank. I haven't quite got things settled. But listen, Just as soon as the old man, I mean, I don't mean to sound, but just as soon as, I mean, in just a little while, I'll be ready to go all in 
And Jesus says, leave the dead. To bury the dead. Following Jesus so radically changes what matters to you. It so radically changes what doesn't matter to you. Because if you start with a change of heart, then all of the priorities begin to change after that. Let's go to the last one. Another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. And he said, no one who sits, puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Followers of Jesus are called always to look ahead. That doesn't mean we can't learn from the past. We don't live in the past. We're called to look forward, not backward. Now, I want you to, I want you to get this phrase because you, you probably missed it. It's real easy to miss, but there's four words in the English translation, and it's these four words, but let me first. When, the, when it comes to follow Jesus, two people responded with this excuse, and it's this, but let me first. You break that down. They're saying, Jesus, let me first. The call to follow Jesus is to follow him first. You see, these people say, but let me first. It seems so, so small, but it's really such a profound excuse that we all use. They did not desire he first. They desired me first, and such a person is not ready to follow Jesus. They're ready to follow their heart. So Jesus was very clear on the commitment. If you want to break it down into one phrase, it's this. Following Jesus means forsaking yourself. Ooh. We don't like that. We're all about ourselves. We're all about us. We're all about everything that we want. We live in a me culture. Arguably, maybe the, we've always lived in a me culture. But, but you see here, Jesus is saying, as king, he deserves the lion's share of our hearts. He gets first place in your life. To, following, to follow him means emptying yourself. Following him is changing, Lord, let me first, into Lord, you are first. Denying yourself means, very simply, denying your heart. And in a self-obsessed, heart-focused time, I have no illusion that this message is hard to hear. But see, Jesus knows where you end up when you follow your heart. We're still in Luke chapter 9, but now I want you to go back up to where we were, verses 24 and 25, and listen to what he says. Jesus knows what happens when you follow your heart, because he said it. For whoever, this is verse 24, for whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man? If he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits 
himself. You see, our culture tells you to follow your heart. In our music, in our movies, in our television, in our social media even, to follow your heart first and foremost, to listen to it and to serve its every desire. And what is the result of following your heart? What is the result of that? We are more angry and more anxious and more stressed out and more suicidal and more depressed than ever. You see, what happens when you follow your heart. Jesus warned against it. So, so follow me on this. What if Jesus' invitation wasn't draconian at all? Following our hearts is such terrible, awful, eternally bad advice. It has caused more problems. It has ended more marriages. It has caused more addictions. It's mutilated more bodies. It's ended more lives. It's destroyed more souls than we'll ever fully realize. It is one of hell's most effective slogans. Siri has a a problem with that, apparently. If following our hearts causes so much trouble, then wouldn't denying our hearts be one of the most compassionate, tender, and lightest yokes that he could ever place on our weary, sin-sick, self-centered hearts? I would, I would say to you that it is. Don't follow your heart. Follow the one who created your heart, who knows it better than you do, and who alone has the power to cleanse your heart. Jesus never said it would be easy, only that it would be worth it. You see, the trouble is, We have the sin-sick heart within all of us. And the problem now is, what do I do with that? What do I do with this? What do I do with me? I can't undo my sins. I can't fix. I can't atone for my own sins. I, I can't go and make all of these things right. I can't remove the evil from within myself. What's the answer? And the answer is Jesus the Christ. So glad you asked the question. So, the invitation is not to follow your heart. I would gently and lovingly encourage you to reject firmly and fiercely all of your heart. The Bible word for that is repentance. And when you are there, then you're ready for the remedy for your heart, which is Jesus the Christ. And if you're ready to be freed at last from yourself, 
and to have a new heart. Jesus is the way. If you're ready for that this morning, we have a simple option for you. Simple, not easy. We're going to sing a song, and you head to the back and meet with one of our shepherds. And if you're ready to be baptized into Christ, as he commanded us to do, we're ready to help you with that. If you've perhaps let let your heart stray, as the hymn says, we'll be happy to pray for you and bind your wandering heart back to him. Do not follow your heart. Instead, follow the one who made it and the only one who can redeem it. If you have any need this morning in a public way, we'd be glad to help you. Won't you come as together we stand and sing.